0: I don't think there is that movement of clients away from the more traditional models, but what we are seeing now is firms, particularly in the UK, not necessarily bet in the house, but talking in, in, in real strong terms about hybrid, in inverted commerce advice models.
1: Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grand Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Valkova, your regular host and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. Today's episode is part of a short series in which we talk about what the year ahead will bring to the key sectors in financial services. One thing, sure, we won't suffer from lack of developments, but to try and demystify the most important ones in the investment management sector, I have invited for a discussion David Mori who is the head of investment management at Grant Thornton and leads the firm's regulatory practice, as well as Jonathan Charles, who is a director in the same practice and has spent many years working on investment management firms. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. Well, first of all, hi, David. Great to have you back again on the podcast.
2: Thanks, Serena. Good to be here.
1: And welcome to the podcast, to you, Jonathan. You haven't been with us so far. You excited?
0: Yeah. yeah thanks, Arena. I'm pleased to be making my podcast debut on Saint David's Day. So, Dioch for the invite.
1: Pleasure, as always. Um, first of all, did you bring your crystal balls? with you, as we're going to talk about what is going to be the head for investment management?
2: In- indeed, I've put down the game controller and I put Hogwarts Legacy away, and and I'm ready to. Uh, Ready to talk about what we think will be happening in the investment management world um over the year or next year or so.
1: Nothing less than you, David, as always. Um and, and JC, you prepared to speculate?
0: <laughs> yeah, less Harry Potter focused, but um yeah, i hopefully I've got the crystal ball up and working.
1: Excellent. Well, then let's talk big picture first. So we are likely to experience yet another year that presents a challenging set of macroeconomic circumstances. And um, although predictions are for some positive news, hopefully, when it comes to certain macroeconomic indicators such as falling inflation and potentially less of a spike in, in rising central bank interest rates, um, it is going to be a lot of market volatility still, um, due to a wider set of economic and geopolitical factors, to say the least. Where does this place the investment management sector as a whole, I think, starting starting with that? And particularly in the UK, of course. David, maybe, you first? Yes,
2: I mean, I, I think, um, uh, you know, I don't think we need to dwell necessarily on, on the economic factors themselves and more on the fact that the environment has changed. Um, it's changed on where it was two years ago. It's changed on where it was a year ago. Certainly changed on where it was five years ago. Um, and whenever we get a shift uh, as... Substantial as, as as this we see, you know w- what we see now, which is well, first of all, hedge funds making hay because of the extra volatility, but um, also winners and losers in the uh, sphere of active management. So we're already seeing that feed through in results. You know, firms that were flying high and performing well have have, have tailed off a bit as the investment environment has changed, and those uh, that, that potentially weren't doing as well have have seen a boost. Um, Different winners, different losers, but but essentially the the, the same um you know the, the, the same experience that we've seen before. And um you know, I think it just brings home how difficult it is for a fun house to uh, consistently um perform well, consistently pull in new uh new monies from clients, um um when shifts like this can um, undermine their performance um in 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 the way it it, it will in some cases um and and yeah there's 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 no surprise to that i think um you know arguably the the most important decisions investment managers will be making this year as, as businesses will be on the front office side of the house in terms of what their strategy is and how they choose to allocate investments and that will determine their success to a large degree but um I think it, it also feeds into the you know, longer term um, pressures that investment managers have been under um, uh, that will mean that consolidation continues to be uh, a factor in the market.
1: I'm sure everybody's interested to know, and your guess is, are we going to see a better performance this year?
2: Um well, we already are seeing uh, certain asset classes uh, rebound to form. If you're, you're investing in equities, you're seeing the, the big indices performing well. Um, I think, uh, it, 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 you know, but equally that that's caught cool. yeah, a number of investment houses out in terms of uh, uh, um, those indices outperforming uh, expectations. So assets being allocated in the wrong place, arguably in hindsight. Um, so uh, yeah, I, there, there will there will be there will be uh, winning investment strategies this year uh, as there always are. The problem for investment managers is determining what those are going to be in advance.
1: Casey, what's your take on the macroeconomic circumstances, if you like, the wider picture?
0: Well, uh, David mentioned it there, but I think what we will continue to see is consolidation in the in the mid mid market investment management firms, um, and arguably you could say. Outside of the kind of behemoth global players, anyone is uh, anyone else is is probably in the kind of in the ballpark area of of, of size for potential consolidation. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see the kind of real acceleration of, of those MA transactions that we might necessarily have, have thought we would see 18 months ago. And I I think that's a that's a factor of the market volatility, as kind of big transactions at the moment don't look as attractive um just from the, the kind of prevailing financial and economic conditions. Um but that's not to say there won't be some um some interesting movements in the MA and consolidation space this year. I guess one one Kind of counterpoint to that is that you know a, a consolidation a merger an acquisition bringing two firms together isn't necessarily the silver bullet that all firms may um may expect it to be where you've got two firms on paper that are complementary and have um potential efficiencies that could be gained by by a merger or an acquisition um you know in in reality the practicality of that integration program might mean that some of those uh, assumed efficiencies and assumed complementary um, front office outlooks don't necessarily work, um, and 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 those mergers are then less successful than than you would you would like.
1: You both obviously think consolidation is a big thing. Do you see that playing with specific segments within the market? So, for example, this more uh the small players if you like or the larger ones so you, where do you think this was wo- or how did how do you think this works for the different segments within the within the space
0: so i i think for for the the very large global players i think at the moment that's i, I i'd be surprised if we saw any significant m a activity um and i think in the very small you know truly boutique firms that are kind of looking to achieve Pretty niche alpha. I think they are probably um, so niche that the the, the m and a activity or a merger and transaction might not necessarily make sense. but I think outside of those two groups um, yeah you know any any firm may look at out into the market and think, well, the only way we're going to get sustainable kind of growth and profit profitability is through consolidation.
1: Those on the mid-size sort of uh, yeah. investment management firms. So with all that, it, it seems still a lot going on, obviously. Um, are we set for some fundamental changes in the in investment management sector more broadly? So is this going to lead, for example, in the mid to longer term in the de- to the development of new asset classes uh, that can potentially gain a sizable share of the market, um, if you like, David? Yes. Maybe?
2: Uh, well, the, it's an open question as to ha- as to how sizeable some of the um, some of the developments w- will be, but there's certainly uh, very clear efforts for uh, the largest players to um, you know, get their foot into uh, as many markets uh, investment classes as as possible. Um, Future proofing themselves and going back to the earlier observation I was making about, you know, winners and losers as, as the economy turns, there the are winners and losers in the investment management world. Well, if you are spread across, you know, as many asset classes as possible, then potentially you are you are insulated from that. i.e. you'd always be doing something that's, that's in the winning pocket. Um, and so we are seeing sort of the larger houses developing their capability around private assets in particular, so private debt, private equity. Um, the uh etf offerings that we're now seeing springing up amongst european managers i mean i think um, there's a there's a question about they can't all be successful and, and it's a pretty crowded market already with some very large global players in it but but clearly that that that, that uh, the desire to be a be a participant in the etf um distribution world and the and the product world is 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 driving um businesses to Sort of branch out. I, I I would expect as well, actually, um, that as crypto assets become a more closely regulated um, uh, I- industry, I- I- which we're seeing you know, everywhere basically the, 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 the in the UK and elsewhere, um, that those assets as potential um, investable asset classes, you know, on a, on a large scale, could become uh, could could become more common uh we've got a few players dabbling around the edges there, but it could become very mainstream so yeah the 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 investment managers building extending capability building new capability is absolutely um is absolutely happening across asset classes um i think uh product development wise um you know the 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 the, the trend there uh, just lifting up a level from from pure asset classes is, is is obviously to to, to, to themify um, in, in investment funds, investment solutions. So, firms are potentially over time moving away from offering a you know UK large cap fund and, and instead offering um, a, a, a fund that is uh, geared around a particular investment theme that it hopes it will will appeal to will appeal to investors, which is which is actually you know it, it, the, one of the most uh, uh um, extreme examples of that at this point the most mature examples I should say of that at this point is in the ESG space, which is probably where I, I turn this back on you, Irina, actually given I know your your focus on that sector. Uh, what, what, what do you think we're going to be seeing in terms of development around ESG offerings from investment managers? Well
1: hopefully more offerings. Uh and within diversification in that particular space, I would have said um I think for me, the most interesting piece that is coming potentially on the market globally is the is the potential investment in transition and solutions around enabling the transition and whether that's the technology bit or uh, whether that's the particular, for example, nature based solutions. So I think there is there's a lot of opportunity there. There is a lot of value in, of course, investing those themes more particularly as, as solutions, but it's quite difficult to. Forecast, if you like, how quickly that's going to, I would have thought, crystallize in the market, given that the market is currently quite diversified in terms of investor needs and interest. So, if you look at the UK EU market versus the US market, for example, that's a big that's a big uh, differentiator there. Um, it's it sort of intertwined as well, though. So, I think the sooner the US investors realise that there is a lot of value in investing in transition. I think the more accelerated that would um, uh, would, would happen. Um, but, but my kind of view is that now is the time to innovate in ESG. It's a huge potential and opportunity to invest in such solutions. There is a lot of money to be invested in that. As, um, and it's just a question of now coming up with the right solution. So... Yeah, time for innovation in my view. This is where it's coming.
2: But build it, build it, and hopefully they will come. Is that the is that the uh, the theory there? Um,
1: I think so. Yeah, definitely. Um, the question is how quickly we get there. I think we will we will make a a step change shift. So the question is, do we as a public actually invest and fund the transition eventually, or do we accelerate that by really pushing investors to support us on that? But talking about innovation and I guess technology, my next question sort of turning it back to you, because you'd like to surprise me on things like that, is... um, Obviously, technology is something that we we cannot not talk about um, when it comes to any sort of financial services sector. Where do you see the biggest impact of tech for investment management?
2: Oh, there's, there's a few um, a few different things there. I, I mean, if I pick pick one, um, blockchain. Now, um, the, th- the thing is, I, I I guess going back, you know, best part of ten years, it, that would probably be one of the oh, blockchain is going to have a major impact. Um and uh. I think it's fair to say it's only had a very limited impact thus far. And if you read if you read uh if you read about it in the press, you're likely to see an article now about why um why blockchain is not being adopted more quickly. Um question mark. Uh so uh is 2023 the year when that finally um becomes a thing that you know a large number of market participants, investment managers are, are, are active in. Um Probably not, but it's it's definitely creeping forward. So you know, it, it, this technology that has the potential to you know revolutionise uh, well a variety of things, but uh, it can, from a cost saving point of view, its biggest impact would be uh, around the, um, the sort of the settlement and um, recording of uh, holding of assets, um, instantaneous settlement, you know. In species transfers done with a push of a button, um, no more transfer agents potentially uh redefining the role of investment platforms. Um, so uh you know a lot of a lot of change and disruption there, uh, and maybe the fact it is so much potential business model disruption might explain why um take up has been you know relatively limited thus far, actually. Um but we are starting to see an increasing number of what I call pilot exercises or use cases um, undertaken and succeeding generally. Um, it looks like it's going to have the most immediate impact on, uh, from a time point of view on those asset classes, which are you know, the least electronic already. So real estate, private assets. And if you can tokenize um, those holdings, then uh, you 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 are making a substantial difference to how those Assets can be can be held and traded. Um, so uh, I'm not therefore saying blockchain is going to be you know the, the 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 revolutionary technology of 2023, but I think it is a year where um, you will see meaningful steps forward in that technology, and um, the, you know the direction of travel will be perhaps stronger than it has been for the last few years. Interesting.
1: Blockchain clearly has got a huge a huge role I think to play, particularly when it comes to um, investments in agriculture. For example, it's an obvious one. It's just like fantastic to have uh, technology and innovation like blockchain. I think.
2: Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's a there's an overriding concern that um, will need to be addressed, uh, or will be a constant battle to be addressed. It's around security, because of course, if you've got a, you know, the, the sole record of your investment holdings is is sitting in blockchain. If that is insecure for any reason then you, you know the record is co- could be corrupted beyond beyond use and there is no backup there is no fallback um so uh yeah this, this is all closely in time, entwined time with um cyber security um and i think it's uh, one level blockchain will only be successful as cyber security is in in terms of defending those um that those uh, uh, data um uh stores
1: we do see though a lot of investment in cybersecurity more broadly anyway, particularly in context of the whole operational resilience conversation. So you'd have you'd have hoped, if you like, that we we can certainly see some positive developments in that front too. And 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 JC, where do you see the role of uh, of technology, if you like, in the investment management space?
0: If we think about um, more outward facing rather than the kind of internal uh, cost efficiencies that you could you could get, um, if we think about um, the advice process and, and client interactions, uh, both when you're when you're onboarding clients and throughout the the kind of wealth management investment management journey, I think we'll start seeing some real shifts there. Similar story to to blockchain. Maybe six, seven, eight years ago, we were looking at robo advice in inverted commas and thinking this is going to change the game, and um, you know the the kind of robo advice model will be dominant in the next. Decade. I don't think we've necessarily seen that shift to robo-advice firms. I don't think there is that movement of clients away from the more traditional models. But what we are seeing now is firms, particularly in the UK, not necessarily betting the house, but talking in 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 real strong terms about hybrid in inverted commas advice models, where by there is human interaction, but that is supplemented with significant amounts of technology. Um, and the FCA released some data points recently around a kind of behavioural economics type data points around what people want in terms of human interactions. And that data suggested that the, the, the big majority of people want a human interaction upfront when they're entering into the advice process. And I guess I've got sympathy with that you know it's it's a big um it's a big life decision and you know you're 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 putting your money in the hands of a firm you want to have a conversation with a human I can understand that but where that can be uh augmented supported really with technology is around uh I guess you know you can look at AI supporting client onboarding and Client due diligence processes, making that very slick, the data capture for um, client onboarding from a regulatory point of view, the suitability and, and, and risk profiling of individual clients that can be done way more efficiently with the use of AI and technology. And whilst there will be human interactions at that point and on an ongoing basis, I think that ongoing management of the clients thinking about um rebalancing of portfolios as and as and when risk profile changes when we're leading up to big life events like retirement or or um you know you AI can uh predict you know for example the 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 average age of where people are going to have children in certain areas and so you know people may want to start thinking about other financial concerns around specific ages and life events I think that will We will start seeing technology really helping with that kind of um, uh, ongoing management of client uh, clients' investments.
1: That's interesting. Obviously, the point around humans wanting humans sort of is not really revolution. (laughs) We, We didn't really expect anything else. But I think what's interesting is that, I don't know, you tell me, but do we see enough of the application if you like of technology for internal uses and efficiencies on the market because my observation is that this is somewhere halfway and of course it depends on the uh, the players but i don't think it's revolutionized if you like the sector as you would have expected well in fact you know one of the, one of the big houses just banned the use of chat gpt the other day so yeah. do you think we're gonna see a step change in that
0: i, th- I think we will i think chat gpt is slightly different as it's a kind of you know, it's an externally held system and, you know, it, it only goes, I think it's its knowledge only goes up to 2021, so anything after that hasn't happened in its world. So I can understand the kind of hesitancy or the concerns around that from a risk management point of view, but I I think it it's a folly to think that AI isn't going to be used internally for cost efficiency purposes, not just the the kind of the blockchain elements that David's talked about with um you know, transfer agents and things like that, but more, um, you know, we are seeing more use cases on things like surveillance tools and AI tools being used on um, uh, trade surveillance, but also kind of in the conduct risk space, making sure that uh, the correct conversations are happening. The correct be- behaviors are happening. AI is being can be used. Probably isn't being used enough, and should be used more for that kind of um, surveillance activity. It can be used for kind of portfolio risk management more effectively. It could probably be used for you know wider operational risk management type activities. And then you know, I think the the kind of capabilities or potential it's got for internal. Data reporting and 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 actually external reporting, reg reporting, and reporting to clients as well, you know, across all of that, we're probably not getting the most out of the technology we've already got. And so, uh, I th- I, yeah, I think for firms to be to successfully lower their cost base to maintain their profitability, it's gonna th- there's gonna have to be some upfront investment in the in this kind of technology. David, I'm sure you have a beyond on element.
2: Yeah, I, well, I, I, on, on this, I, I absolutely agree with uh, with Jonathan. Yeah, I, I and, and I think um, you know the, the speed of adoption, I think, is likely to be faster um, than we are seeing on blockchain uh, because it can be uh, e- executed in, in isolated cases within your within your business model. You know, you're not signing up to some industry wide uh, revolution. Um, inevitably uh the, the assumption has to be that the bigger houses with deeper pockets are going to do more on this and move faster and get more benefits so it's that classic playing into the playing into the advantages of scale um although I'm hoping and expecting that there will be a thriving industry of 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 tech developers that are you know developing solutions and and and, and selling them uh selling them at reasonable prices to uh uh to market participants so everyone will get some benefit from this um personally obviously i'm looking forward to having my first ai girlfriend in the not too distant future so that's uh that's uh that's a real value add for me personally um have
1: you, have you seen the movie i'm your man you have uh, I, to it's I, the it, reverse it doesn't quite work
2: oh yeah <laughs> oh, oh don't 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 i was getting my hopes up as well
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, it is the one I, person I, 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 that doesn't we, need human to human interaction yeah it's easy to uh, it, it's easy to see
2: um just the you know the linguistic processing abilities of uh, of ai uh, witnessed by things like chat gpt you know making a material difference to many many businesses in this sector and others so uh, yeah we are um um we are at a point where uh, no business, I think, including our own, as we know, you know, we're looking into in, into the the extent to which we can uh, implement um, this kind of technology in our own work. So every every business in every sector has got, has got to be taking it seriously, otherwise they might wake up and find their way behind the pace.
0: Yeah. And on the, on the point of scale as well, I guess what, you know, as you say, those global players with the deep pockets may um develop things further and but that is then an additional opportunity for them to commoditize that and sell it as we've seen with trading systems and surveillance systems developed in-house and then being sold as a commodity afterwards
1: okay Um moving into slightly more serious topic rather right? than um, ai enabled human interaction um which i hope we don't get to um Regulatory developments are inevitably integral part of any sort of uh, financial services sector, but particularly the investment management space, of course. So where do you see the biggest impact on firms in 2023? Starting with you, JC, this time just for a change.
0: Um, I guess if we look at big picture, at the end of last year, you had the Edinburgh reforms speech. Um, Start of December, I think it was, and we—I we, I know David's covered it on a on a separate podcast, but for what it's worth, my immediate thoughts on that were when I saw the press releases. Oh, wow, this could actually be transformational and really kind of aid the competitiveness of the UK markets, as all the the press releases talked about. But then as you get. And
1: then you listen to the actual podcast that David did with Ben and you realise there is no real sort of transformation well, yeah, happening. <laughs> there,
0: there is there is that element you get into. You then get into the detail away from the headlines. And, the you know, we've got 30 points that we're going to 30 regulations we're going to impact. And we've we've already got 13 of them. And, you know, as you as we've talked about before, some of those are already in train. So actually it's kind of it's not really 30 and it's not really 13. Um but yeah you get into that detail and it's less about transformational change particularly for the im sector in those that are already announced and it's more around fairly niche technical topics so prips short selling some of the method reporting stuff but it's you know that will be useful and hopefully make things more efficient and, and usable from a regulatory point of view but it's not it's not those game-changing things i think the the, the one that would impact. That's already been uh, that was announced at the time is around the the, the change. The, well, a review of the SMCR, which actually I think of all the regulations was a reasonably well implemented and is operating pretty well in practice. So of all of the ones that to look at, that probably would have been at the bottom of the pile. So it, yeah, it felt it it felt slightly less wow once I got into the detail. I guess one one thing we have seen though this year um a discussion paper issued by the fca 23 2 discussion paper um is around the, the the uk regime for asset managers and and as those discussion papers go it was quite an interesting one to see where their thinking is and i i guess one headline coming out of that is obviously this is still at discussion paper stage, not even consultation, but the SCA sort of direction of travel around the USITS regime and, and simplification or changes to that that will really diverge us from what the EU regulation states. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think Edinburgh reforms a bit more meh than wow, once you get into the detail, but actually there could be some interesting divergent regulatory regimes coming into effect in the uk in the next sort of few years like i guess um there was an interesting article in the ft today as well i think yeah there's a bit of perception there may be some grown-ups in the room around the brexit negotiations finally so um an article in the fte talking about the memorandum of understanding on financial services hopefully being signed two and a half years after it was initially drafted um and so we may get a, a kind of formal, documented view on the equivalence regimes that we can expect as well. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, I know that 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 um, could move the dial I, absolutely. Yeah, it's was interesting. I mean, the, the you're right. The the discussion paper on the uh regulatory regime for funds or fund managers um talks about you know potential. My my interpretation of it is let, let's move away from some of the you know very hard and fast. Binary UCITS rules to a more of a principles risk management type based thing. So, if you have um, you know uh, funds that are sold to retail investors, are going to be subject to, to to less to sort of hard and fast concentration percentages and, and more to you know, principles of sound risk management. Um, definitely a strong divergence from from UCITS. I. Um, I, I read that and one of the things that went through my mind and it also went through my mind when I was looking at another regulatory development, which is the the, the sustainability disclosures regime, the UK version of, you know, as different from the EU version and the US version, um, is, is that, that we're seeing um, enough differences creep into the UK funds regime and expect to see enough differences in that regime that it will become, if not explicitly impossible, might become quite difficult extremely difficult to to distribute EU domicile funds into the UK and I'm going to talk in a second about consumer duty because that's kind of my headline regulatory impact for this year but you know that that factors into it as well you have funds manufactured that that aren't subject to consumer duty and how easy is it going to be for um UK distributors to distribute this this those funds so um so at one level that put me the direction of travel is is uh towards an environment in which actually it becomes very difficult for eu funds to be distributed into the uk and we have plenty of managers that post brexit you know have continued to distribute their irish domicile Lux domiciled etc funds in, into the uk and they may be looking at uh, ultimately having to domicile re uh into the uk potentially to to to, to maintain access but equally yeah, I have uncertainty about that conclusion because, as you rightly say, the Brexit cooperation appears to be stepping up a notch. So maybe we get equivalence. Maybe maybe um, uh, uh, the the concern I have around inward uh, inward marketing of, of of EU funds might might be a non-issue actually. Um, uh, so as ever, in other words, regulatory change dispels uncertainty. Um, for me, consumer duty is spelling tremendous amount of uncertainty. I, uh, I mean, a lot, a lot has been said about this, including in our own, our own podcast. So I won't, I won't spend too long on it. But I think my, the headline for me is um, consumer duty is, I think, inevitably going to be uh, used as a tool to ask very difficult questions. The regulator, in this case, are asking very difficult questions about the profitability, the margins that are being made in investment management. Uh, we already have an assessment of value regime for for, for 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 retail funds, as we all know. But I think more generally, profit margins will will, will come under scrutiny. And consumer duty will uh, certainly the way it will be supervised will force firms to um, potentially take uh, to take cost reductions on the chin as part of being able to demonstrate value. Um, so I think that has uh, significance because it will play into and you know being ex- the accelerating factor behind the consolidation agenda. Um sm- smaller point, but just, just wanted to mention it in passing, the FCA provided some feedback on the supervision of the new prudential regime. I say new, you and a you and a bit old prudential regime for investment managers, the proof rules. Um, some interesting stuff in there that will apply to certain businesses for sure. The overriding takeaway for me is they are explicitly talking about um, the adequacy of wind down plans, or should I say, the inadequacy of wind down plans in the sector. So uh, ratcheting up, I think the expectations about just how slower and yeah plan-like <laughs> these wind down plans, wind down plans need to be. So, so from a from a sort of regulatory uh, evolution uh, perspective, um, I, I expect a lot of investment managers to be having to put some effort into beefing up their wind down plans in 2023.
0: Yeah, I took, yeah the the other point I took from that as well was around the um over and above the thresholds that Mifid has introduced having internal metrics as you approach those thresholds that actually have actionable um processes around them uh to make sure that you you are holding sufficient own funds and liquid resources I think a lot a lot of firms are doing that already and you know you have your your effectively your risk appetite metrics approaching those thresholds but yeah, the fca are explicitly looking for those and so firms that don't have them won't be meeting their expectations at
1: all i'm personally looking forward to the new tnft sort of uh, framework being released in the <laughs> summer um and the regime along along these lines and how quickly that's going to make uh, it's it will find its place in regulation and and the new ISB standards which i thought um a way more aligned to the EU, um, regulations and particularly the the new CSRD, as opposed to UK regulations, so I don't think we can just um, sit on the sides, on the fence, if you like, and and watch all these sort of sustainability reporting requirements develop, given that we've said already we're going to incorporate the ISSB standards um, and not unify more, if you like, with EU regulation, it's just going to be regional ways.
2: Yeah, I mean that that and that that, that, that seems to be the theme about sustainability-related disclosures or reporting climate change, TCFD climate change reporting, et cetera, Is that um, uh, we're getting you know 150 flavors of it, and just the the, the effort to harmonise or, or try and deliver all of those dis- different disclosures in an efficient way for an international business at least is hugely problematic. That that. Uh, divergence risk in itself is a is a driver of cost. Um, so yes, I think I think almost every investment manager would willingly uh, uh embrace a single, you know, harmonised global regime um if it was on offer. I don't think it is on offer, but uh, but, but it would make a significant difference, uh, I think, to many organisations.
1: You better the question as to why it's not on offer, but perhaps a whole podcast on that to come yeah. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> And um, one final question uh, from me, just because I'm conscious of time. Um, if you were, say, to to be leading an investment management firm today, if you were a CEO, let's say, um, what would be your number one priority for 2023,
0: JC? Yeah, should I tell, well, instead of a CEO, can I be a CFO and come back <laughs> to some of the... Um, earlier points we made right at the start of the conversation around the economic environment and kind of continued downward pressure on margin and cost income ratios, albeit acknowledging the potential green shoots towards the, the back end of this year. I think my focus would be on making sure I had a real handle on the cost base. And we were, you know, the the, the my theoretical investment management firm was uh, running as lean as it possibly can at the moment acknowledging that the the, the margin pressure is going to continue downward trending for the next at least couple of quarters
1: interesting david
0: well jonathan's
2: obviously the doom and gloom kind of <laughs> bean counter um i uh I, I don't disagree with him um uh, the, the, the pressure on margins is is going to mean you have to be become as efficient as possible but but for, for me um, the single thing I would be looking to try and get right would be satisfying ourselves that the product we have or the product we are developing is um, what the market wants, um, and some of that is, you know, risk management in terms of your, you, you, you never know for sure, but if you if if you uh, have a sufficiently uh, innovative um set of products, you're probably going to find um a reasonable amount of demand uh, for those. so um yeah, let's uh let's make sure we're selling what the market wants um and uh, if that means I have to spend a bit more of my bean counters money on <laughs> product development resource um then I'll have to do that.
1: Excellent. More nature-based solutions investments then, because that's (laughs) what the market wants. (laughs) On that note, without David contradicts me, (laughs) without giving him the opportunity.
2: (laughs) AR girlfriends is what we want. uh,
1: (laughs) Thank you both for your comments. (laughs) It's been a very interesting conversation indeed. Um, Thank you very much to our listeners for tuning in today. I found they found it helpful too. Um, If you are keen to know more about the development in other sectors, such as banking, insurance and capital markets, please tune in to the next episodes of this series too. You can also sign up to the Financial Services Regulatory Newsletter to receive weekly updates and invites into your inbox. And to stay up to date with your upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. Thank you again and goodbye.